Welcome to the Shepherd's Crick Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our king, Jesus. Welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook. Hope you guys are all doing well today. Really looking forward to this conversation. I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun talking to a buddy of mine that I'll introduce here in just a minute. But first, just want to remind you of a few things. Uh, please, if you haven't yet, check out the Sons and Slaves podcast that we have going on. In fact, my guest, uh, his son, was on the show with my boys last week, I believe. We released an episode about hunting. We were talking to Noah and we were talking to Creed. And we're just telling some stories, had a lot of fun. And if you like this conversation that I end up having with Ben here today, you want to make sure and go check that out. And if you've got children at home, if you've got boys at home, make sure and check out the Sons and Slaves podcast because it's just a lot of fun. Uh, my sons are, are having a good time with it and so am I. So check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. Secondly, if you want to be a part of the Shepherd's Crook subscription, you can reach out to me. You'll get a newsletter in your mailbox once a month. And I've really been been enjoying writing again kind of took a writing hiatus for a while, except for my sermon preparation and been writing to the subscribers. And uh, then also you can get a thumb drive of all the content at the end of the year. Also, you can get access into the rites of passage material that I've been putting together and to the previous co cohort. So if you want in on that, reach out to me. I'd love to get you uh, in on that as well. All right. Without any further ado, I'm talking to my good buddy. He is the real deal. He is the real McCoy. I'm talking to Ben McCoy today. Ben, how's it going, man? Doing good, man. How about yourself? Doing great. Having a lot of fun. And looking forward to this conversation. But as always, we're going to pray first, ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll get to know you a little bit. Absolutely. All right. Father, we thank you for this time. And I thank you for a friend and a brother and his family and how much they mean to us. And I'm excited for listeners today to hear the wisdom that we get from, from a, a man that I look up to so much. And I trust that you're going to help, help this conversation go well and, and be an encouragement to people that are listening. We just trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do? Well, my name is Ben McCoy. I am a father of two and a husband. And uh, again, growing up in the southern woods of West Virginia, uh, like I said, hunting was a big part of my life and had a dad that did a whole lot of good things with me and showed me the ways of the of a woodsman and taught me a lot of things and i've seen now through that a ton of good life lessons that mm -hmm. is able to relate into life and wow the things that we get to take away from that and share with others is is quite amazing so yeah so west virginia you ended up in illinois and then now you're in alabama so tell us real quick how your family ended up where you are now okay well real quick my back history i was a uh, coal miner, fourth generation coal miner, and most people from that part of West Virginia, you are either doing coal or something directly related with coal, and that was me. Um, through that, the opportunity came about, and I got to shift over to Southern Illinois, which was on the environmental side of coal, and everything in West Virginia was on the production side of things. So through that, the Lord just opened doors and allowed my pads to cross the right people and as one job phased out another one come in as smooth of a transition as you could possibly have 
and went into working with a company called Chemstream, and they're out of West Frankfurt, Illinois. And through that, I've been with the company for roughly three years now. And as I've grown with them and they've grown with me and opportunities came about, it seems like the Alabama door opened. Me and my wife is a one-two punch. We both work with Chemstream. So it felt like a pretty good deal for, for them to get a one-two punch with us. So the, the cards fell in our lap to where we got to come to Alabama and and do this opportunity. So Awesome. Now – also, there's some pretty special things that happened when you're here in Illinois, because I think you were here for like, was it seven years? You here, you guys here six or seven years, something like that? Seven years. Yes, and sir. God brought you and you met a guy named Dean. You met a, a guy named Caleb and just some pretty incredible stories. Could you just quickly, I mean, the story of Marlena, Dean and Marlena and just God's sovereignty, because your, the, your, your theology, you left West, West Virginia, one man, you left Southern Illinois, another man, and God did an incredible thing. And, and it's just been cool, you know, to hear that story and see that story. But tell a few things, because I think everyone listening will be, you know, encouraged by that. But uh, tell us about that Dean and Marlena story. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, uh, when you get hindsight's twenty twenty in the moment, we always have this tunnel vision that you can't always see what the Lord's working in your life. But uh, long story short, um, a guy stopped beside the road as I was hanging posted signs at this place. There was only one question that I had of anything of the 3000 acres that I was managing. And uh, this guy just so happened to pull up beside me. I asked him a couple questions. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the area pretty good. I know the people pretty good. Any questions that you got? And I said, well, there's one question. So I just started talking. He said, well, I'll come over tomorrow and we'll get together. Long story short, he was the guy that leased the property that I had the only question about on the whole thing. And he said, where'd you say he was from? I said, well, West Virginia. He said, well, I know one story about West Virginia. So he went into telling me this whole story about how his daughter was this big softball player. and He was good buddies with uh, Georgia's head coach and he did some scouting for him. So he said, there's this one story I know. And he said, there's this one girl that I went to Bluefield, Missouri in, uh, in, and, scouted and just so happens that one girl happened to be my wife she walked through the door my little fella on her hip and he said i know you and she said well you don't know me he said yeah i do i scouted you for jerry glasgow in bluefield missouri so long story <laughs> short dean newbold has become one of my best buddies that that has ever been and i can't give a testimony now that dean's not a part of that testimony again i left um, West Virginia, claiming to be a Christian to that most of thing. Mm -hmm. um, again, Dean introduced some doctrines of grace to me that I never heard. <laughs> he of was a blasted Calvinist, man, life. I tell you. And uh, again, there's not a day that goes by that I don't give a testimony that Dean Noble is not a part of that testimony now. So yeah. again, God orchestrates and works all things together for the good for those who are called according to his purposes. And Dean was strategically placed in my life to open my eyes to some truths that I never knew. Yeah. And then you guys as well, like I said, we, we started coming to your guys' church, and I took so much away from Christ's church that it ain't funny. So thank man. you guys as well. Well, the feeling's mutual, man. We we learned so much from you guys, and I learned a lot about life, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, just life and fatherhood, and you have a way about you. I said this to our church when you were when you guys were moving, and it was, a, when you guys left, man, I'll never forget that day, because, I mean, our kids are all friends, and everybody was crying. There was, like, huddles of people crying all over the building. 
I couldn't handle it. I was holding it back. You were holding it back. We all, we all was just a big sobbing mess, but it was a, uh, it was a special time. We've learned so much from you and you've got a fatherly way about you. And that's what I, I said when you left and it translates not just with your children, but with other people in your life too, where, where God has specifically, you know, there in the scriptures where, you know, there's this, there's conversations about, uh, you know, you, many guides, Paul tells the church in Corinth, but you don't have any fathers and you have that way about you. And I've always appreciated that. Uh, so, but before we get there and, and left lessons and hunting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so doctrines of grace, your eyes were just open. And that was a big part of your testimony where, where Dean is talking to you about this stuff. And like with anybody, there was kind of like this initial revolt, you know, like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right at all. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> once you get into that, you start talking and, and you, you catch yourself digging your heels into the culture that you was growing up in. And what you do is you catch yourself defending what you thought you knew mm -hmm. as to reading the text for what it says and letting the text speak for itself. But when you start reading through the Bible, through the doctrines of grace thing, it is all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. There's no denying that that is truth. And there's not another doctrine out there mm -hmm. that is more God glorifying and Christ exalting as to the doctrines of grace. And yeah. when we solely put all of our faith and all of our trust in what he did for us, and again, I know me, I wouldn't have chosen me, but he did. Mm -hmm. Oh, the reverence for for God goes off the charts when yeah. when you see it through those lenses, and it just it opens up new new worlds for you for sure. Amen. Amen. Well, we started talking hunting, and I found out okay, you were more than a hunter. You've been hunting for so long, and I mean, in the hills and the valleys of West Virginia, you move here and you've got these three thousand acres that you're managing, but also on the side, you know, you're getting to to hunt. A little bit out there as well uh, you had some fires we had some stories we could tell if if we had the time of uh you know god's grace beyond just the doctrines of grace but but saving your property from completely burning to the ground but <laughs> well uh, we don't want to go into all those right now we won't yeah. go into all if those we that's were right. going to do those we would be here all day and a couple <laughs> other days dean always talks about there's not a dull moment at the mccoy house so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i believe it i i agree uh, went over there several times though. You took me out hunting. You put me in a stand. You put me in the 49er stand. I liver shot a deer, didn't recover it. We had Dean and his dogs out there looking for it. But over the last year, learned so much from you sitting in a stand with you. You're in your saddle. I'm in the stand and just hearing you talk and having conversations about life and fatherhood and the age of the deer. So let's just talk life lessons, things that you have learned hunting, how that's translated into discipleship lessons that you've brought to your children. Um, you know, we love your, your kids and it's been awesome to see, you know, the, the McCoy kids, I tell you, they can tell you about Jesus and they can knife fight and they can get in a stand and, uh, and do just, they're, they're pretty, they're Renaissance, you know, Creed and Kinsey and Callie. We just, we love them. And uh, so just uh, tell us some of the lessons, some of the things we talked about, and and then we'll just kind of go from there and maybe chase some rabbits and have some fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Again, um, through being a hunter and being out in God's creation, wow, is it not obvious that there's a creator of this world and it don't just happen by happenstance. And man, he's good. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, no doubt. But in the hunting world is very, very easy to get tied up in wanting to worship the creation instead of the creator. And again, God gives us good gifts and every good and perfect gift comes from the father above. But again, we got to be very, very careful. And it's really easy to get sucked into the trap of making something good and idle. 
and and again then we've crossed the boundary line of what it can be using it for the good and the glory of god and and just self-serving ourselves. and again listen i done that for years and years and years and and not even knowing it truthfully i mean it's it's just a slow thing and you get sucked in and you buy the lie and and it grabs you before you know it so again I, that would be the first thing that i would caution anybody that was getting into bow hunting or that is a bow hunter like listen open your eyes and make sure you got your priorities right because god does give you good things but through those good things he wants you to share those good things with other people he wants to teach you good life lessons with that he don't ever want you to neglect your family with those good gifts and listen he just yeah i mean it's good and it's easy. Here's another thing with that is it's easy to get prideful. And again, after you've had a little bit of success with killing a couple of good deer, what we do is we catch up on what men think about us because they have seen that you've killed one or two or three right. or four good deer in the past. So you know what they expect. Well, they start to expect, well, listen, Ben's a hunter. What's he killed this year? Mm-hmm. So for the in the conversation of the passing, hey, what'd you kill this year? You lay out everything that you got on the line every waking second of deer season to try to appease what those guys say. Hey, did you kill something? And then you get to say, yeah, look, this is mm-hmm. what I killed. Yeah. And truthfully, they don't really even care. And you lay everything that you got on the line just to say, look what I did. Or yeah. no, I didn't get one this year. But truthfully, right. ultimately, when you grab it, they don't really care. <laughs> it, it frees a burden. And you've took something, again, a good gift from God, and you've turned it into a job that it should have never been. You should have just been enjoying it all along. Yeah. And you, you told me that, I mean, this is something you've definitely dealt with. That I mean, you told me a story of walking out of the stand one year and realizing, man, my pri- my priorities are definitely out of line. And yeah. didn't hunt the rest of the year. I mean, you put the bow down and the rest of the year said nope i'm done this year yeah and so these are lessons you know like not that just that you've observed but literally you've walked through this stuff before oh, i mean you've absolutely. walked through man this has been too too important to me no absolutely like i said probably one of the hardest things i ever admitted was uh that I, bow hunting was an idol in my life and again mm-hmm. i was i drove a truck over the road for about two years and in that truck there was nobody to hold you accountable i mean you could have went any direction that you wanted to go you was gone five and six days a week and you could have got into as much trouble as you want to do, and nobody was there to hold you accountable. Or I chose to lean into God, and I listened to preaching for eight and ten hours every day in that truck. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy called Chip Ingram on the radio, and it was amazing. The things that he was saying changed my life. And again, mm-hmm. he was a conduit of grace that God used at that point in my life to yeah really opened my eyes to a lot of things and he was preaching through a, a sermon series called um becoming a romans 12 christian okay and again after he was preaching this whole sermon man red flags were boom like, boom, boom. <laughs> oh that's like, me i don't want to oh. admit that i don't want to admit that i don't want to admit that <laughs> so before i left listen to that sermon i mean he'd done put his thumb all in my problems in my life and at this point i had to make a decision of are you going to be obedient to God yeah. for what he's calling you to do? Or are you just going to stiff arm it like you have the rest of your life? Yeah. And and I surrendered my life in that truck that day and it changed my world. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, imagine 
you're sitting in a stand with Creed or the girls and you're having conversations about these deers, these, these deer that are running by. And, you know, we've talked before we recorded and just the other day, we we're just talking about the different stages of, of a progression of a deer and, and these things that you can just pull out from creation and say, look, there are lessons here about life, about God's world and about how we are as men and as, as young men growing older, there are lessons here for us. So we can just, if we can just see it, it's right there for us. So oh, let's bounce that around a little bit. And uh, I thought those are some really good thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Those are most definitely good thoughts. And again, when you are honest with yourself is when you get the most real answers. And again, it, it takes humbling yourself and saying, listen, I don't measure up and I was these things. So, okay. And you'll know exactly what you're saying on a lot of these things. Um, in the field, again, I, I could probably read this better and I can I can go through it, but you know, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned and discussed while field. Some of those old awkward sex talks are even easily had in November in the deer woods. Good lessons for a father and a son to have to show your boys what their brain's gonna look like someday in the future. It's good lessons for a father and a daughter showing your daughters what life will look like in the future when she comes into herself. This is a really good time to know that her daddy's a killer, though. <laughs> um, as a man, we've blown it in some areas of the, in these areas, so we learn that we're no different from anyone else. We can learn from others' failures and safeguard our futures. Um, I always talk to people about deer cycles. If you grasp this, it's great life lessons and you will kill bigger and better deer for sure. Think of deer in dog years. Think of deer as men in that same age structure. So we'll say a deer, one-year-old, is equivalent to a boy that's seven years old. Mm -hmm. He's connected to his mama's hip. Wherever she goes, that's where he goes. He has no care in the world. He and does whatever mama does. He's easy. Deer, two years old. Hormones are starting to change. He is starting to feel his oats, but has no clue what's going on in his body. Mm -hmm. So he's careless and reckless and just wants to be seen. Dads, this is where you need to be talking through these things with your son, guiding him and holding him accountable. Yeah. So real quick, let me interject a thought. Let, let, me interject yeah, a, let me interject a thought real, real quick. So as you're, you're thinking about the age of a deer yeah. and these progressions that Ben's talking about here be, you know, you know, even hit pause and just think through some of these connections. So a, a one-year-old deer, what's it doing? Seven-year-old boy, these, these progressions in life, you know, some people call them cognitive stages and development that you'll be able to recognize in certain uh, behavioral patterns. But it, these, these are lessons again, that you can talk about in the field. And let's just say you, you've never hunted before. And you thought, well, what's the big deal about hunting? Certainly you can have good lessons from playing sports and all those sorts of things as well. But there are direct connections here, and this will actually help you as you're thinking through hunting. It will help you thinking through like, okay, when you learn more about a deer, you actually, the weird thing is that God can use that to help you understand about your children as well. That You can actually learn lessons on fatherhood out here in the woods. Think like, okay, wait a minute. How does that relate to how my son is right now? And what can I do as a father to be able to, to guide and shape him? And these are, these are things that can happen as you're praying in a stand. And just talking to the Lord, and you, these connections can start to happen where you're thinking, okay, this is this is uh, this is helpful. And so, when you're thinking about these stages of progress, be thinking about your children, and just you know, again, hit pause and think about what Ben's talking about because these stages are identifiable, not just in the deer, but in your children as well. I mean, these are these are great connections. 
Right. And again, when you're in the November woods, you see every bit of this occurring. So again, there is no like, oh, wonder if we're going to see this. This is what you're going to see a field. And it's it's opportunity to talk to each and every one of these situations every day that you're a field with your kids. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, once you learn what deer do, they're a whole lot easier to kill too. So that that's that's a major bonus here. So a three-year-old, let's think of like a 21-year-old half boy, half man. His body says he's a man, and most of the time his actions prove otherwise. He's 10 foot tall and bulletproof, so he thinks. He has tasted things in life, and he's willing to put himself in bad places and situations to try to score the prize. You can rattle this deer in easy. Yeah. <laughs> he's, ready to, he's ready to go for it. Yeah, you got ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you got four-year-old there. He's he's equivalent to a 28-year-old man. Now his brain has finally caught up with his hormones. He knows the game, how the game works, and is getting good at it. His circle has now widened a bunch. He's not just hitting his hometown. He's bouncing around to neighboring towns now. He has tasted it, and he likes it. He now has the means and the ability to go get it. He will at all costs, even if it... Even if he has to fight, he's all right with that. Mm -hmm. Rattle him in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Again, yeah. that here right there, what he is doing is he's finally come into himself. Mm -hmm. He's as smart as anything out there. But again, he's still willing to put himself in vulnerable situations because he's 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 right at the point of turning over into total maturehood. Mm -hmm. And again, he's a good deer. He's, he's like a thoroughbred racehorse at this point in his life. Yeah. Now, on the backside of that, you get to a six, seven, eight-year-old deer. That's an old deer out in the woods. There's some of that where where they start to turn into the, you know, the teenage deer a little bit, or they turn into the the, the young adult deer, that that three-year-old deer again, where they're not as cautious. Yeah. What do you, What do you think some of the reasons are the older the, the deer get that they kind of you know get kind of Re, not regress it's like they regress back into some of their behaviors from when they were younger of not being as cautious and I'll, I'll go through those stages of life as well let's go back to the deer five to seven years old mm -hmm. he's 35 to 49 year old man he's established he's very successful usually settled down a family man god has shown him unmeasurable amounts of grace to get him to this point he has all the world has to offer and loves it but in a vulnerable moment, he will throw caution to the wind and blow it all. Temptation will get the best of him. Peak of the rut is when you kill him. Hmm. I mean, that's the only time that you're ever going to kill this deer. He only runs at night, and he is most definitely calculated to the uttermost. He knows and has seen more things in the woods than, than any of these other deer, and he is not willing to risk anything except for that one moment. And that's when he'll throw coffee to the wind. Then back to what you were saying, you get mm -hmm. these old deer. A deer 8 to 10 years old, equivalent to a 56 to a 70-year-old man. In these latter years, you have to put a warning label with it. Past performance is no guarantee for future results. Just because we have done well in the past don't mean that we won't get lazy in the future. Mm -hmm. Sex is not so much the drive at this point. Now the temptation is the easy life on cruise control. He starts taking shortcuts. Biggest decision is lazy boy or the bed. Usually whichever is shortest distance to the dinner table is the one that he picks. When you get lazy, you get sloppy. 
when mm -hmm. sloppy, you're not calculated, then you're easy to kill again. Mm -hmm. Intersect his beds and his food source, and you can kill this old deer. So Good that's kind of like the notes of the seasons of the phases that deer go through. And again, if you apply that to your life as a man, mm -hmm. you can safeguard yourself from, from blowing it in areas. If you apply that to deer's life, you kind of know the way that they function. And all those early young deer that you see bounce around, you can easily put those off a little bit for a better prize at the end to kill a bigger buck. Yeah. I promise you, he's not going to show himself like that two and three-year-old is yeah. when he's five, six, and seven. Right. Well, when we're observing deer like that, too, I mean, in all of life, this is something that you do a good job with your kids that I've been able to observe. But you're able to take this. You're able to, okay, if you're aware of these different stages we're talking about here, and say it's your first time in a deer deer stand and or, you know, first season going out hunting. And you don't see a whole lot, but you see a mom and fawns and you're able to see their player, you know, playfulness and all this. It's, it's easy to walk out of the stand that night and say, hey, what, what did we watch that day? Did you see how there was a connection to the mother and the, the fawns didn't get far from the mother? You can have these conversations about life and just so easily, you know, translate that into discipleship with your children. And, you know, that, that's one of the cool things about, you know, what you're talking about is that, uh, you know, my son, you know, Ransom's just a little bit older in Creed. And this year when he's going to be sitting in the stand with me and I'm intentionally thinking every time we're going out, what's something we can walk away with and we can talk about and we can relate to his life, to him as a boy, but also about things to look out for, things that he needs to grow into based on what we observe in the woods. And by taking that and applying it, you know, it's so much more than just going out in the woods with your kids. I mean, this really is, it becomes like, this is a way of life of, of growing in your discipleship as a Christian. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, everything is a teachable moment. And again, if you ever walk out of the woods and you didn't have a few teachable moments, you miss the ball because, mm -hmm. again, they're there. You just have to observe them and be willing to, to have those conversations. I don't know where in the world we went wrong with suppressing stuff and not talking about it, mm -hmm. even the hard subjects, because, again, that's where we know each and every one of us is going to probably end up stumbling and falling in life mm -hmm. and most of those conversations was suppressed at one time and it's just like yeah if we don't talk about it it won't happen and that's, yeah. that's the furthest thing from the truth so have conversations with your children early and often and again when it comes to those big times listen it's easy to have those conversations because i think the only time that we've ever had this conversation yeah so well even thinking about sex all the confusion that is out there right now in the world you know, there's bucks and there's does and they're going to be seeing some stuff. It's, it's in the rut and they're seeing what's going down with that buck and that doe. And it's great for conversations too, about how God has made male and female. Look at this, look how he has designed things to work and easy way to have conversations about the way the animal kingdom works, but then the way that God has wired mankind to work as well. And, you know, <laughs> we had that conversation. I actually got a, uh, I was texting Daniel Presley and Daniel has this book that he reads to his kids to teach, you know, about sex and how things work between a man and a woman and in the context of marriage. And I texted him one week, he's telling me about it. I was like, Hey man, can you bring that sex book to church? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we were like, we're dying laughing later. Like, man, if somebody saw that text, they, they well, probably would have thought that. sounds really bad. Don't it? <laughs> sounds really, really bad. I'm like, yeah, you're texting a buddy, hey, bring that sex book, man. And, uh, <laughs> But I went went through that with Ransom. And then if we get a chance to witness that or see anything like that in the woods this year, which this year we probably won't because, you know, uh, we had a, a baby conceived at, 
at uh, you know February the 14th and then November the 15th we have a due date so hunters out there make sure that you avoid that because you don't want to be in the woods or you don't want to be you know missing the rut if you're in well, southern that Illinois. Is, that is that is hunters 101 <laughs> law that you just did there you I didn't know, know man you are not allowed to take any good Valentine's Day and ruin the November upcoming. It just, <laughs> you always steer away from that. Yeah. That's, that's 101 in the deer hunting world, pal. Yeah. Well, I know that now. I know that now. So, um, oh, well, let's uh, switch gears because I think some of your insights on this will be helpful because because Oak is due November the 15th, I've got to be very calculated to hunt early October and then I'm going to try to hunt October and then most likely because Jordan has C-sections, we're looking at probably early November, late October that he comes along and uh, that he's on the scene. And then it's going to be two weeks of at least not hunting at all. Yeah. And absolutely. then, so this year you, you talked to me in the past about hunting smarter, not harder. And maybe there's guys in situations that like that where they can't take a month off or can't take two weeks off to hunt. They don't, they don't own their own business. And I think most guys that are hunters who start their own business do so, so they can be in the woods in November. Um, a whole lot of that, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but bring us up to speed on that because I think you know guys do have limited time and they have li limited opportunities. So how do you make the most out of limited time and hunt smarter instead of harder? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, when you're a family man and a hunter, you've got to uh, you got to position yourself right to where your your time is you're working for you as you working for your time. There, mm -hmm. you've got to be a calculated killer, like you said. And just because it's hunting season, it don't mean that you have to be in the woods. So there's clearly times out there that's better times to hunt than others. Mm -hmm. And some of those times are that very early season. Again, if you're like in a in a Kentucky state that comes in September 2 or 3 or something, those deer are still in velvet. They're, yeah. they're total summer pattern. If you're ever going to kill a deer, that's the easiest time in the world. Grant you, you have to do your homework to get – where he's coming from because mm -hmm. if you just go jump in the stand and expect it to happen it's probably not going to happen but if you've done your homework with that deer that's the easiest he's ever going to be to kill and then obviously the rut i mean the rut is no holds bar you never know what's going to be coming around the corner and if you can get an opportunity to be in the woods during that time wow, you you take advantage of that for sure mm -hmm. and and then back to the feed patterns after the run these bucks run hard for for a month and they're run down and they ain't thought about nothing but sex and they've totally deprived themselves of food they've deprived themselves of water they've deprived themselves of sleep so at this point what he's doing is he's cruising his way around to find the most concentrated amount of dose in these food sources so he's going to feed his belly but hoping that he gets lucky because one of these stragglers <laughs> missed the first heat cycle. So that's yeah. where he's going to be. He's going to be on the food source, and he's going to be looking for that one or two does that didn't get bred the first go around. So those are those are always great times. Cold fronts, listen, we have the technology now with these phones that you can see days in advance of like, listen, there's going to be a 25-degree drop. Mm -hmm. from thursday to friday well when do you think you need to be in the woods right well if you got to lag two days to get to that one pick your days wisely choose the cold front every time deer mm -hmm. do what deer do and when you do something major in their in their pattern they sense that and that's when they're going to move um moon phases a deer it's amazing 
what they do on moon phases. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're if you're hunting up to this full moon, so now you've got a moon that rises at three o'clock in the in the afternoon, two thirty, three o'clock. Well that tells that deer to get up on its feet. You don't hunt mornings during that time. You always hunt the evenings leading up to that full moon, seven days in advance. And then on the back side of that full moon, it's all morning hunts because yeah. that moon's gonna hang till 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the day. So that tells that feet, that deer to stay on its feet a little bit longer before it goes back to bed. Uh, again, if you get these truths down to where these are rock solid, they've proven themselves for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. You can you can schedule your hunts and still get some really good hunts in a whole lot less time. Yeah. Pressures, you got a barometric pressure that's like a thirty point one to a thirty point three. Listen, something about that tells them deer to get up on their feet and move. You better be hunting in those times. And then people pressure is the other thing. A lot of a lot of us hunt public lands, mm-hmm. and you know all the weekend warriors go hit it. Well, deer know when when a bunch of human scents run around in the woods, they're just gonna shack up tight and they ain't leaving their beds if that's the case. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're a public land hunter, start looking at those mid midweek hunts when everybody else is still at work. You still get to go chase some deer on a Wednesday and a Thursday when nobody else is in the woods with you. So mm-hmm. again, knowing those things, using them to your advantage, uh, it makes makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Not to mention that if you hunt every day, all day in the same spot, you blow these spots out before it's even time to hunt them. Mm-hmm. And and you've ruined the best spots that you have because you you've went in there and laid your scent down every day for the last two weeks. So yeah. it's not good. Yeah, that's good. And I'll tell you what, guys, if you're if you're listening to this and you scheduled out and like you said, you, you said in there, hey, if you're gonna if you had a plan to go two days, but the weather the weather isn't right, hold off and look at it and just forget going those two days. Do what you can to go that one day with the weather. And you know, you can get out there in the best time. And uh, because it seems like everybody is limited. Most most people just can't, like I said, get out there for the whole hunting season. So you really gotta be selective. And that's what I'm trying to do this year. And you know, I've learned a lot of things over the last couple of years. And one of them is just don't go hunting just because you have the time in the day or that evening or that morning. And uh, if the weather's off, you're going to get out there and you're going to see, most likely you're going to see nothing. And if you wait to the right time um, in the right weather, it's going to be helpful. Let's talk uh, bow tuning for a little bit, because one of the things, you know, when I was sitting in that 49er stand with you and shot that, that was an incredible night. We saw five, nice bucks really two or three nicer ones one really nice buck which i wish you would have shot um but you had the discipline to say if a really good buck never becomes a great buck if you shoot it and and it was a really but it was a really nice buck ended up being your last year uh that you know for sure you can hunt on that property but uh that that uh day i shot a deer and it was 15 yards out and I shot it. It was a liver shot. It was a barely, barely passed through. And one of the things I wish I would have done beforehand, my arrow setup wasn't great. You got me set up with the right broadheads and, and a better arrow situation after that. But my bow was shooting and I had not, I had not paper tuned it and it was coming out of there wobbly. My arrow was just wobbling. It didn't hit as hard as it needed to. And if I would have had a quarter inch wider uh, broadhead and if it would have been literally a, a, like less than half an inch further to the right, then we would have found that deer. And uh, instead, it was dark blood passed through. 
So with shooting a bow anymore, it's almost like if your bow isn't tuned to you, don't even shoot it. Just go to a, a bow shop, get it tuned to you, to, you know, your right length, just everything about that bow, get it tuned to you and then start shooting after that. Because if not, you're, you're going to blow some opportunities just because you're not <laughs> shooting as good as you could. Well, here's the thing. You're playing a game of inches. And again, mm-hmm. it's not like you just grade on the curb here. You're you're picking a hair and you're trying to shoot it. And the saying is the best person with the best equipment usually has the best outcomes. So mm-hmm. again, learn all there is to learn about a deer. Know him inside and out before you even go in the hunt. And again, I know not all of us has the ability to have the best, most new, up-to-date, recent stuff out there. But get the very best equipment that you can afford because Mm -hmm. you're getting ready to go out and harvest an animal. You're going to kill an animal and take its life. It deserves the best that you have to give it. Mm -hmm. So again, just like you said, setting up your bow and tuning it. If if you're not tuned up and you just haphazardly grab it and say, yeah, let me do it. You're doing the deer an in-service and Mm -hmm. nobody likes the deer more than the deer hunter. Yeah, right. I love the deer. So don't tell me just because I go out and kill deer, it's like, oh, you you kill those poor things. Nobody gives them a place to the point of I I grow them, I raise them, I pass them multiple years, I kill them, I eat them, I pray over them, and I hang them on my wall for the Mm -hmm. world to see Mm -hmm. for the next rest of my life. So yeah, don't tell me that you like a deer more than I like a deer. No, yeah. I, I clearly like the deer more than most. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as your bow set up, again, this is about as controversial as it'll get right here. I mean, it's Matthews only or, or nothing <laughs> shooting a bow. So go buy Matthews first and foremost. No, no, they all make good bows out there these days. Hoyts and Bowtechs and PSE, they're all a good bow at this point. Um, Again, what I can tell you about building an arrow is think of, and again, I'm an analogy kind of guy. That's Mm -hmm. the way that I see that is when I draw pictures in my head. Think of the MMA fighter when you're building an arrow. If you build a heavyweight arrow, it's so slow. If it hits you, it hurts really bad, Mm -hmm. but it's slow getting to you. And if you make a feather light arrow, like a feather light boxer, he might hit you a bunch, but his punches don't carry nearly the weight as the heavyweights. Mm-hmm. So go find the good equal in the middle area there. And that's the baddest guy out there is probably the 220-pound MMA fighter that when he hits you, it really hurts, but he's fast when he does it too. Mm-hmm. So when you're building an arrow, you want to build it with quite a bit of weight to where it hits, it gets the good deep penetration, but it still gets there quick. Mm-hmm. And that. Uh, I'm a personally, I'm a, a fixed blade broadhead kind of guy. If you can do a, a 450 grain arrow to a 500 grain arrow with a fixed blade broadhead, that's pretty much a deadly combo. Once I figure it out, I never change. So mm-hmm. again, I hate um, sighting in a bow. So mm-hmm. at this point, once I get it and it's proven itself time and time again, which it has, I never change. So, gotcha. Yeah. Don't buy the fad of, of, I've got to get the newest out every year because nothing's changed for the last 40 years, really. It's mm-hmm. all the same, just with a different marketing package. <laughs> if you shoot it through the lungs, they die. That's, that's yeah. the tip. So. Right. Well, I've got the setup you 
helped me with with my arrow setup and I'm just sticking with it and I'm getting the same arrows and if I ever change it's going to be basically the exact same setup and, and until I can you know figure some things out to change some things I you know I've got Caleb here that can help me out with some stuff I got Drew that's a buddy of mine that can help me out with some stuff Drew shoots a little bit lighter arrow um, different spine I believe too but it's all stuff that I've learned incrementally over the last couple of years I think the biggest thing for me has been just learning from you learning from Drew, learning from people, just, just listening and observing. And then just year after year, you just pick up a little bit each year. And then eventually you kind of just get your feet under you a little bit. And I feel like this year I'm more prepared than I've ever been before, just because the, the collection of the last three or four years of just talking to you guys. Well, yeah, absolutely. And again, one another thing that this, this sport brings to us is what a relationship builder that it is. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many, how many things that you get to rub shoulders with other people and they're like-minded, but on the same flip side of that coin, what we say is a relationship builder. It can also be a, a relationship breaker. And again, that's when we get back to the first point of worshiping the creator instead of the creation. And again, we let that deer get so enthralled in our mind that we'll start hiding things. And, and it's just like sin propensity in our life we 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 start hiding from this and we don't share this with others and do all this and if they even get close to it, we start rejecting them yeah and right again don't ever allow a stupid deer and i have in the past so i'm guilty of all these things that i'm telling you please don't go down the same roads as that i did to where it's a relationship breaker as to a a, a builder so yeah well man this has been a lot of fun i think there's a ton of takeaways for people uh, I've always, if you if you listen to my interviews before, I always ask people and just really set them up to just talk about Jesus at the end, because the whole point of this, I know this is your desire as well, but when I talk to folks, I'm one and I have talked to some Christians that are from different theological back, backgrounds and that sort of thing. Um, but man, I just love ending on God's grace because even talking about being in the woods, getting to do this kind of stuff, this is all a part of his God, you know, God's grace to us that we get to experience this. I mean, he created a world that we can harvest our own animals and do so by, I mean, through taking dominion, man, figuring this out, how we can bring food and bring it to our families, provide for our families. And it's fun in the process. That's the neat thing that God's God set us up with something that's so cool to do. And, uh, you know, with all this stuff we've been talking about, it, really good stuff, but let's just end with God's grace. And I just, uh, just got a question for you, man. So, so why is it that you love Jesus? Why is it that I love Jesus? Well, I know the man that I was, and I can honestly say I'm not that man no more. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, he's made all things new. Oh, I can speak to that so mm -hmm. much. And again, with, with God giving all those good gifts to us, how can we not give him all freely? And again, yeah. we as Americans live such a cush life that most of the other brothers and sisters in the world don't get. And we're probably the most lax of all. Mm -hmm. So again, when, when we see the sacrifice that Christ came, died on the cross, bearing our sin and our shame, rose from the dead, conquering death and hell, how can we not just freely give all? And again, I want to be a walking, breathing, living testimony of what Christ has done in my life. And and if I can at all ever share that with somebody else through these deer woods, 
I'm not going to cling so tight that I run those relationships away, but I'm mm. going to build off of them. So, yeah, yeah. that's good stuff, Hopefully man. That man, that's good stuff. Well, dude, it's been a lot of fun. We didn't get into the, the story of the McCoys because you are a real McCoy from West Virginia. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot. Do you have any uh, Hatfield friends? Uh, there's a few of them out there. They're slim pickings, but 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 they're out there. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, this has been a ton of fun, guys. We've been talking to my good buddy, Ben McCoy. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, and keep up the good work of sharing God's message with the world. And, and again, if I can ever help in any way, don't hesitate to call my name. Absolutely. Thanks a ton. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.